Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 280. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session number 280 you're listening to. And my guest today is Mr. Brad Wood. Brad is making a second appearance here on the podcast. His original appearance happened at WCA number... 95. That's right. 95. That was a while ago. Yeah. And that interview, if you go back to it, and I'll link to it, of course, in the show notes, was a combination of a live interview we did at the AES show, as well as a online interview that we did. So be sure and check that out. And you can get all the basics, all the background on Brad and know where he's coming from. Now, this interview today is taken actually from an Instagram live interview that we did. And so there's a little bit of interaction there from uh, the Instagram audience. So you'll, of course, hear that. And uh, we talk about mostly coronavirus, the impacts of that, as Brad sees it from his perspective, and how it affects, you know, the live concert industry and the recording industry and et cetera, et cetera. So Brad Wood, making a return here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's geek out together. All right, so um, let's have a sip of coffee first. Mm. It's actually cold, but it's still good. <laughs> yeah, that coffee's been sitting there a while. That's okay. All right, so um, what am I talking about? Geeking out. Don't laugh, but I'm, I'm really kind of going off the deep end here. What am I doing right now? Well, I'm talking to you right now, but what what am I multitasking and doing right now? I'm prepping two hard drives. What am I prepping those drives for? I am prepping those two drives to become a RAID. Oh, a RAID, you say. Uh-oh, what does that mean? What are you gonna do? What are you doing right now, Matt? I am actually creating a my own network-attached storage unit drive thing, a NAS. How am I doing that? Doing that with a Raspberry Pi 4. Yep, I know. You're shaking your head. Oh, my goodness. What are you up to, you say? Well, you know, I'm just bored. I got to tell you, you know, I'm going a little stir crazy. So how stir crazy am I? Well, I ordered a Raspberry Pi 4. I already had a a 3. Actually, we've already got a couple of them in the house. Uh, In fact, we use a Raspberry Pi 3 as a print server for all the computers in the house. It just, we have an old printer. It's a laser printer. We don't even have a color printer. And it's attached to this little Raspberry Pi, and that's the print server. So this Raspberry Pi, Raspberry Pi 4, will become a NAS. Now, you might say, well, don't you already have a couple of those? I do. I have a couple Drobos in in the house. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm experimenting with something here that I'm not really sure where it's going yet. Um, Trying to reassess all my 
uh, backing up needs and desires. So there it is. I will put a link in the show notes to the article that I'm reading on how to do that. If you want to geek out to that level, I'll help you do it. I'll be your enabler. Right. So Raspberry Pi 4. Fun stuff. There's all kinds of projects. I already built a... um, uh, like a surveillance camera with one. It was kind of goofy. The resolution was ridiculous. And it was an overnight experiment. We put it outside. And of course, it was dark outside. So you couldn't see anything. So that one's going to get repurposed into something else. Hell, I don't know. I'm just goofing off. What else am I geeking out on? Well, I'm going to geek out on um, really uh going through all the audio gear this weekend and uh, everything for that matter. I'm, I, we have this shed here at our house. We don't have a garage. We, we have a shed. And like anybody's garage that gets filled up, we fill the shed up and the shed is full and it needs to be completely emptied out and I need to go through all the crap that I have. So um, yep, I'll be listing some stuff on Reverb.com. I swear I'm going to get it done. And uh, I've got some stuff. I want to get rid of it, and maybe you're interested in it. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Because by the time this episode gets released, I better have that stuff up on Reverb.com. My wife's going to kill me if I don't. The other thing that I'm geeking out on, you know, I mentioned cleaning, uh, prepping hard drives. You know, physical stuff takes up a lot of space. Well, hard drives, they fill up. And... I seem to be coming across the same files on multiple drives, you know, and I always do this thing where I label in the past. Actually, I still do it. And I'll, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. In the past, what I've done is, you know, let's say your desktop becomes filled up with a bunch of crap. Well, I would create these folders called desktop chaos or desktop chaos in the date. God knows what would be in those folders, but I keep coming across hard drives with folders of desktop chaos material old installs of software, variations of the same set of photos over and over down the ages, you know, it's, it's insane. So I'm cleaning that stuff up. <laughs> I no longer do desktop chaos. I now have a, um, a folder on most of my machines called under the rug, where I just throw shit under the rug. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. So I, now I have to clean out the desktop chaos folders and all those drives, but I also have to clean out the under-the-rug folders, yeah. It's insane. This is what happens when we quarantine at home. I'm told we are not supposed to say shelter in place. I don't know what, you know, is that a politically correct thing? I don't know, but we're quarantining. So I'm going to change my language to quarantining. So we're quarantining. So there it is. When you quarantine in place, that's what I'll just, I'll make it a hybrid. I'll call it quarantine in place. When you quarantine in place, that's what you end up doing. Um, you get a little stir crazy and you start going through hard drives, old hard drives. That, that's got to tell you something because that takes a level of geekery and boredom. And I've got st- other stuff I could do, but I figure, well, I might as well get to this stuff. Clear out those hard drives. So that's it. I hope if you decide to succumb to this kind of geekery and boredom, I hope it serves you well, and if you don't succumb to that, I hope you're getting something done that is benefiting you in the long term either way. So, that's it. Cheers. Drink more coffee. And thanks for indulging me here. All right, let's get to it. Brad Wood, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. 
Hey, Brad. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. We'll just jump right in. Brad and I have actually done an interview in the past. It was episode WCA number 95. And we, what are we at this week? We're like 279 this week. So that was quite a while ago. And that was a combination of an AES interview and a Skype interview. Mm -hmm. Poor Skype. They're not getting the love these days. They aren't. And I wonder why. I mean, to me, it just seems like Zoom came out of nowhere. I'd never heard of them. And all of a sudden... It's no longer a kid's TV show from the 70s and 80s based out of Boston. (laughs) I remember that. In fact, now that you say that, that theme song is running uh, through my head. Earworm. Yeah. Coronavirus. Let's talk about that for a bit. You and I had a great conversation on the phone yesterday. We were talking about the impact on artists. And when this impacts artists, it eventually it finds its way to us and it impacts us as well. So... I want to get your take on what your thoughts are on on what artists are doing now and how they're suffering and what's what do you predict? What's going to happen here? I only know what, what I observe, read, or see on social media. And like a lot of things on social media, we all tend to behave in a pattern. With the musician friends I know, every single one of them makes, well, not every single one of them, most of them tour to make the money that they need to survive. They play gigs. That's been a reality forever. And even more so now that the profits from physical sales are almost effectively zero, less than 10%, or maybe even below that. And streaming just doesn't compensate the kinds of artists that I work with either at all or laughably a small amount. So most of the bands that I work with, most of the artists I work with, they have to have a touring economy. That's how they can subsidize this career. And what I'm concerned about is is that this may take a long time to recover because the nature of going to see shows is sort of the opposite of like the best practices to avoid being infected or to spread the infection. So that's really problematic. I, I, I don't know when that's going to be. I can't predict when that's going to be okay. I was listening to a podcast with an epidemiologist on Monday who was saying that the quickest time it's taken for a vaccine to go from being created, which is 12 to 18 months, to actually be out in the public so that it can be administered enough to be effective is four years. It takes four years usually to get that to market in the numbers needed. And most vaccines for viruses are two-step. So you have the initial vaccine, you go in for a booster. So that means Mm -hmm. that the United States is going to have to manufacture over 600 million doses of vaccine. And the capacity currently is somewhere around 30 million in a year. So there's a lot that needs to be done in order to even just make it so this virus is, is controllable. I'm not an expert. I'm just telling you what I heard on a podcast and what I've read about. But it seems that touring and being in an audience to see artists play, is it's going to be a long time before we're back to that. And that concerns me personally because most of the artists I work with don't get record label advances. In fact, none of them do. I, I haven't. It's been 2016 was the last time I worked with a band that was issued a check from the record label that they then used to make a record. That's four years ago. And I haven't seen one since. And my fear is that artists are going to have a hard time having any money to live off of, let alone hire someone like you or me to mix or produce their album. So there may be lasting effects. Let's say everybody goes back to being on the road magically winter of 2021. And a year from now, we're all back on the road. I think that it's going to take a long time to refill those coffers. And I fear when I'm not feeling too enthusiastic about things, I worry that it may take a couple of years for the recording side of it to recover because that's just lost income. And these people, they're not considered essential workers, even though music and art is 
is all we're consuming right now. <laughs> but right. But we don't treat artists, at least in this country, almost any country really, with the kind of support that in these kinds of situations. And really, it isn't an essential service. Playing, you know, going to a show is not a critical need in our lives. I mean, it, it, it's emotionally fulfilling and, and it makes your life better, but you won't die if you can't go see Alanis Morissette at the Hollywood Bowl. You just, you won't expire. It's not essential. And so right. it's humbling to me and I try not to complain about it. And I definitely try not to worry about it too much because it doesn't do me any good, but it's humbling to have your job and your vocation and your love put into perspective. And that's what's going on for me, at least, is that, you know, I love music and it's essential to my life. But I also know that when situations like this present themselves, we all have to sort of check ourselves. At least I feel like I have to check myself and realize that there's a lot of music out there already and people can consume music that doesn't have to be new and it doesn't have to be live. We just have to be humble in the face of of a force that's beyond our control and beyond any government's control, you know, at least initially. That's a long answer. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, I, I lost you at the first part. Can you go back? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Didn't mean to force coffee through your nose, through your nasal passage. <laughs> as far as audio professionals and the domino effect that this is going to have on all of us, the other audio professionals that you talk to, what are people doing? What are other audio pros doing that you know to survive? While the artists have stopped coming in, because not only can they physically not come in, mm -hmm. but they just don't have the money. And then, of course, you can mix, you can master, but tracking, mm, not going to be happening. I haven't seen or talked to many people about about how they're dealing with tracking. I have seen a lot of evidence that people are are doing just what you mentioned, which is mixing and mastering. And I did notice a week after, maybe 10 days after the quarantines started to come down nation by nation, state by state. I saw a lot of appeals by our peers on Instagram and on Facebook and a little bit on Twitter saying, hey, you know, I'm stuck here. I'm twiddling my thumbs. You want to, you need mixing services. Let's talk. There was a, like a flurry of that. And I've seen a lot less of that in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know why that is other than maybe just people have stopped panicking and are normalizing and they're reaching out through either their own management or via their websites or making personal appeals. That's kind of what I'm doing. I made an ask in a kind of oblique way last week on Instagram, which is my preferred mode of social media communication. It seems like I'm personally, I'm limiting myself to mixing. That's, that's kind of what I'm doing, but that's what I kind of do most of the time. Anyway, I, I don't make as many albums start to finish engineer to mix as I used to, people oftentimes will just upload a, a bunch of files or a hard drive worth of songs. Andrew here on Instagram is saying that more of the artists that he's working with are starting to record some of the basic tracks themselves. Sure. Are you seeing that from the artists you work with? Are they engaging in their own recording? They already have been, most of them. So yeah. there's it's a continuation of that. I was supposed to go to France and work on a recording in June, and that obviously is not going to happen. And I'm hoping that bands like that will find a way to track themselves and send it to me. My friend Ken Sluter is doing a lot of mixing from home. He <laughs> he just finished a really beautiful home studio like days before all this happened. <laughs> and so lucky because, you know, he can labor away in, in isolation. And he's been doing some additional production, so people will send him a song that needs fleshing out. I haven't been hired to do that yet. I've been getting hired to mix stuff. And a lot of it comes through this website right here from this app. Instagram people will reach out to me 
and send me direct messages and they'll ask me what I charge. And sometimes they just ghost and go away because it's, it's out of their price range. Just letting you guys know, you can always negotiate with me <laughs> if it comes down to it. <laughs> I um, think you can negotiate with everybody and, at this and, point. And, yeah. It's a, it's a buyer's market when it comes to that. If you're an artist or a band that needs a song mixed, you can talk to me about price. You don't have to just disappear. <laughs> but I haven't yet got to the point where people are sending me stuff to add overdubs to. I, I haven't seen that yet. I mean, I have a studio behind the control room here is my garage, which is now my live room. And I can track anything in there. So if you sent me files and you want me to play drums on it, I could play them myself or I could probably bring Aaron Sterling in. We could safely record drums or guitars in that room. It's a physically different room. And I, in some ways, I'd almost prefer to have Aaron Sterling at least six feet away from me at all times. So... <laughs> kidding i'm kidding but I, but that hasn't come to pass yet mostly what i'm doing is getting people who are like taking advantage of the free time i've got and asking me to mix stuff they've already recorded so whether this is i don't know whether this is stuff that's been sitting around or whether they're wrapping it up i haven't delved that far into it yet to see did you start tracking this during the pandemic or did you do this prior yeah I was talking to Jamison Durr. Jamison is a, he's an engineer up here in the Bay Area. He works with Sammy Hagar and all Sammy Hagar's different incarnations of Sammy Hagar, including right. Chickenfoot. And Jamison, in working with some local artists, was telling me that he's starting to engage in, I think he said he was doing Zoom calls with artists and he was actually directing them like, oh yeah, put the mm. mic here. Okay. Oh yeah. Maybe put the gain around here. Kind of engineering remotely. Yeah. that That's totally legit for sure. Uh, there's, this is a great time to be resourceful, <laughs> you know, and to think outside, I hate that phrase, think outside the box, but you know, to think outside your normal set of parameters. And to be honest, I'm older and I'm set in my ways and I've been socially distancing as a record producer since 2004 because I work in my backyard. So my daily routine has hardly changed at all. It really has stayed the same. I work in the backyard and I don't drive anywhere most of the time. And so I think in some ways that that plays to as a disadvantage to me because I'm I'm already comfortable like this is not like a shock to my system other than the loss of work going forward. It's how I respond or don't respond to finding that work or looking for ways to be more of an asset to somebody who otherwise might hire me to be there in person. That's on me. I haven't I haven't figured that one out yet. I haven't I haven't really thought it out like that guy you mentioned. You know, the tip of the hat to him for doing that. Yeah, I th I think that's great. Mm -hmm. At some point the mixes that would come your way or my way are going to start to, it's going to slim down a bit. We're going to go through a, a point where things are going to drop off for a bit because I think artists who are secluded at home are probably going to start engaging in a lot of recording because I'm sure there's a lot of writing going on right now. Mm. And then I think that's going to be followed by a lot of recording. I wonder if you agree or disagree. I mean, it's just speculation. I, I think that there's a lot of people saying that nine months from now, there's going to be a lot of babies born. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. And I also wouldn't be surprised if a year from now, there's a lot of people who are divorced. <laughs> but I also think, I think there's also going to be a lot of pandemic albums. That would be a logical conclusion that people are going to say, you know, I'm writing these songs and usually I play with my full band, but uh, we can't get together and practice, nor do any of us have like really proper studios to record drums and loud guitars. So I'm going to just, I'm going to do this solo album or I'm going to make this album that it's very intimate. I think, you know, we're going to see a lot of that. That's my guess. Now, here's here's another thought for you. Okay, artists secluded at home writing, maybe they're going to be recording stuff on acoustic guitar because mm -hmm. maybe they live in an apartment that can't turn out very loud unless they have, you know, some kind of plug your guitar directly in kind of situation. I think we're going to see a lot of albums come out 
post-virus that are going to be centered around certain instruments. Definitely a lot of acoustic instruments mm -hmm. and possibly utilizing a lot of drum loops or technologies. There's going to be this, there may be a signature sound of this time period as a result. Well, if you think about it, it's an ideal time for hip hop or anything that, or EDM, stuff that's coming out of a box. You don't have to make any noise at all. Wear headphones, except for when you're cutting your vocal. So we may have a lot of Billie Eilish type things. We're going to get a lot of that anyway, because she and, and her brother made a great record and they won a bunch of prizes and that's influential. So I think an intimate bedroom type of recording was already in the works, was already on the rise. And I think you'll see more of it. I think that it might be both things with a lot of really acoustic stuff that's really a simple in arrangement or a lot of stuff that's like 100% electronic because, again, it's much easier to do with a controller and a bunch of software synths. Yeah, for the songwriter who's in a band and is dependent on their drummer stuck at, and they're stuck at home, they're probably going to do a lot of program stuff. Who knows? Man, those logic predictive kind of groove-based drum loops, they, they fool me all the time these days. So I, I guess I don't really care about what other people are doing if they're not hiring me. I'm always going to advocate for good music. I want more of that. And, mm -hmm. and I do feel, my personal opinion is that loud guitar rock is really hard to do, maybe one of the hardest things to do from an engineering standpoint, because it, it's just a difficult and dense type of music. And it seems to be where, that's where I had to do the most problem solving when I started way, way back in the old days, was how to make those kinds of records sound good. And I think it's just, I don't know why it is, but I, I right out of the gate, one of the very first things I recorded was a really loud, noisy band with big, heavy guitars and pummeling drums and it sounded okay and that mm -hmm. very that very first recording was released and that band's career was established and off they went and i think i have a knack for big guitars and drums and being powerful but not being painful to listen to i still struggle to make that stuff sound good i think that that's because that genre of music is a difficult thing to capture and I just don't know if you can do it in a box very well. It kind of requires mm -hmm. air and microphones and real people hitting things and strumming. But that was a style of music that had been, it's been in a backwater socially and popularity wise for decades. So it might hasten the death of that genre even further. <laughs> I'm also just wondering about as far as equipment sales, like, are we going to see a huge amount of electronic drum kits being sold? Because I don't know if I don't I don't know if you've heard like some of these recent electronic drum kits that are out there, but there's some amazing stuff going on. I agree. The samples have gotten so much better, in particular the cymbals. But I think there's going to be a lot of music recorded utilizing those technologies for those that are stuck in, like I say, high-rise apartment buildings, say in a metropolitan area. Yeah, if your job is to hit drums for a living and you're a touring drummer with any kind of band at all and you're suddenly sitting at home your body's used to a, a certain amount of physical exertion of a specific kind and i i can see how that would be really frustrating to not be able to do that at all like if you don't have a practice space or you live in an apartment that doesn't allow for that kind of noise or your kit is in storage somewhere and you can't get to it because the storage facility is closed or you know for whatever reason yeah I think there's going to be a lot of stir-crazy drummers out there. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen to a lot of the rehearsal facilities around the world because musicians who are paying for those and paying for those with money they get from touring, et cetera, mm -hmm. when that dries up, what's going to happen to all that? It's going to be an interesting outcome. I think people own rehearsal facilities. They're always on the bubble anyway because 
of the the sheer cost of running one it's it's a lot of real estate to have the rooms available to put a band in and so most rehearsal spaces that i know of in chicago and now here in la they're big that you do better it seems if you have six or a dozen of these rooms but that's a lot of real estate and rents are not cheap and i don't know that rents are going to go down for commercial real estate that'll probably be the the last thing that's going to happen is that your landlord at your rehearsal space is going to renegotiate a lower rent for you. That's probably going to stay static for a long time, stay expensive. So if you can't book those rooms for very long, I just imagine that they're just going to shutter and be gone. And you just, if you're in a band and you, you lose your practice space, you're just going to have to hustle and find it. But you might not be able to even do that until it's safe for you to physically do that. It also might force a whole new set of habits, specifically for audio professionals, for studio audio professionals. You know, maybe those that are renting space are going to retool their home situation so that they can work from home more easily. Oh, yeah. I mean, hello. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been socially distancing, distancing since 2004. <laughs> and I figure that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to rethink what's what they're going to do with their lives in terms of or their setups and how they're going to handle that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I well, I think there's going to be people who who are no longer going to be able to stay. I mean, they can't they can't stay in the industry long enough. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I think that's my friend Frank saying they may become Ruth's Chris outlets. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, thank God for the stimulus. I think. Come on, this is not an easy industry to survive in for even a couple of years. It's hard, and it takes a lot of time. And again, I'm speaking for myself. It seems myself and the people I know. There's a lot of a lot of dedication, almost stupid dedication, like mindless. You, you have to give up a lot of free time in order to really make this thing work. And the financial rewards are most of the time kind of limited. And and I I'm pretty fortunate. I've had a couple of records that did really well, but physical sales dropped off. 20 years ago this year, more or less for me, and they've never recovered and they won't. Physical media is just not where it's at and maybe never will be again. And that's probably fine because I consume almost every bit of music I listen to via streaming. It's so convenient. And I'm in the car. I listen when I'm walking around. I got these guys in. That's how, that's how I consume music. I think streaming is great. There's nothing wrong with streaming. It's like radio. You know, radio sounds terrible. But that's how I discovered all the music I listened to as a kid, like AM radio, you know, one speaker transistor radio. And mm -hmm. my, my long point is that it's a tough, tough industry to be in. And the odds are stacked against us every stage. There, there's yep. a, a brief period in our careers because we're old enough to have had a longer career where there was a chance that you'd work on a record that might sell a million copies. And if it sold a half million or a million copies, you can actually make money and the artist would make substantial money. Like I can put money away in savings. I might be able to buy a house. I might be able to pay off my college debt, whatever. That was a brief period of the, the CD era, essentially, where an indie artist could sell a $15 or $16 CD and make enough money to stay on that record label. And the record labels would do all right. I think of all, I'm thinking of like Thrill Jockey and Matador and Drag City. It, physical sales of CDs benefited a lot of people, not just the evil major labels and the corporations. So there were in, in, you know, indie artists and their and their labels did really well, especially when manufacturing of a CD got to be about three dollars each or even less. Yeah, and and they kept the margins high, which in the end pissed a lot of consumers off and and helped drive them away. So you know, it was a double edged sword. But my point being that every step of the way in my career, except for this brief moment of less than 10 years of the CD era, there's a lot of disincentive to continue on. And I don't blame anybody for giving up. 
And something like this, which is unprecedented in modern human history or maybe in human history where the entire globe shuts down <laughs> and doesn't do anything for months at a time, I don't blame anybody for saying, man, I just can't hack this. This is hard because it's never an easy job. The life of a freelancer is tough. And I would like to say that I've got a six-month rainy day fund that I can tap into when the next pandemic comes across, or if I puncture my eardrum, or I crash my bike and I can't sit in a chair for six months. But that would be a lie if I said I have that rainy day fund. I don't. This is a tough job. And I don't blame anybody for bailing. And this may be another one of those pruning eras where there's a shakeout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm too stupid and too stubborn to quit and too old. Like I'm a college dropout and I'm in my mid fifties on the dark side of my mid fifties. <laughs> and I'm not going to walk into, I've never worked for anybody but myself, right? I've never had a boss boss. I mean, I had I, part-time jobs working at a record store or as a janitor at the Chicago theater, but I was nominally employed by other people and it's too late for me to quit. Plus I, I just love it. But again, as freelancers, gig economy is what people call it now, the gig economy. You get used to this idea that you might be staring down the barrel of an empty work calendar. I'm used yeah. to that. My family knows the fire drill. Like this was just like a more extreme version of the fire drill and that everybody is in the fire drill with us now. And my wife and I and our kids are like, yeah, this is fine. We do this all the time. Dad never knows where the next paycheck's coming from. Shit. You know, <laughs> no. it's, it's just a standard way of operating. And if this is a shock to some people, I feel bad for them. But if you're a record producer or an engineer, this is, this is how kind of how it goes, isn't it? Yeah, if you don't have any other income streams, absolutely. And I think that that is going to, as you said, this will be a pruning period. It will be a period that will break a lot of people, break a lot of audio pros, break a lot of musicians, but it will also be one that strengthens the resolve of a lot of them too, I think. I think we're going to see a lot of them on both sides of the glass, so to speak, reinvent and come up with ways to survive if this happens again, which... I'm no expert, but I would predict that in our lifetime, this could happen again, and they'll be better prepared. The odds are great for that. And on, on, on a larger scale, and not just the music industry, the recording industry, you're talking about how people weather tough times. And it's one thing to have a tough time hit an industry, one industry. Oh, oh my God, the music industry got walloped in 1999, 2000, and never really recovered or, or recovered in a, in a different form, altered, much smaller. You can say the same thing for, well, let's say blacksmiths in the turn of the century, of the last century, in the 1800s, there were thousands upon thousands of blacksmiths, people who shoed horses for a living. <laughs> How many blacksmiths have you ever met in your life? That's right. But the, you know, the age of the automobile came along and, and they, they no longer exist. There is no guarantee that your industry that you take comfort in and take joy in is going to be around in 10 years. This may be and that your speaker systems and, and your computers and the way that we all record things is guaranteed to change. The rate of change has been dramatic. It's never been slow. And it's only been around in any real usable form as far as like multi-track recordings since, since it was invented by Mary Ford and Les Paul in the 1950s. Yeah. It's barely a half a century old. It, again, there was recording going back 100 years or more, but in a usable format, it was invented in the late 40s, early 50s. So it's what, 70 years old? Right? Yeah. And really, it only kind of really kicked up in, in the mid-60s. So with multi-track tape recorders, four tracks and stuff like that. So it's a really, it's a baby industry and it's changing like crazy. 
Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you say, Send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. It's a tough time. There's going to be some interesting shifts and changes. Would you do any kind of other audio work, Brad? I'm serious, like audiobooks, podcasts, anything else? Like if if the work seriously dries up to a, a, a heavy yeah. degree. The simple answer is yes. I take a lot of pleasure in just miking things up and I'm a task oriented person and I don't play puzzles or, or games or card games in my private life. I've never have been that kind of person, but boy, do I enjoy the puzzle solving aspect of recording. And I've never really engineered for anybody at any great length. I think the last time I was just an engineer for somebody was the album, The White Birch. The band is coding. That was 1989. But no, to answer your question, yeah, I would do just about anything that involved audio. And I've been asked to score a podcast, another Mm -hmm. one. I did one a couple of years ago or maybe a year and a half ago, a podcast called The Shape of the World. That was a ball. I really love that. I've scored a couple of indie movies with Tim Rutilli, or actually one with Tim Rutilli from Califone. I've been asked a bunch and I've thought about it a lot. I've been encouraged to start my own podcast. And I have yet to make that happen. I should talk to you about that. Yeah, if you want advice on podcasts, boy, I'll I'll yeah. talk your ear off on that. All right, we can have a drink socially safe, and maybe I can pick your brain a little bit. Well, I brought my mask just in case. Oh, I got my mask too. <laughs> my my daughter made this a couple of weeks back. Ah, yeah. There's a, a woman in Sausalito mm-hmm. who's making masks, and we're trying to support local small businesses sure. as best we can. Which, here's something to relate to you. I don't know if your local bookstore does this. There's a place near us called Arenda Books, and Mm -hmm. they now do a thing where you can order your book, whether they have it in stock or not. And obviously, if they don't have it, they'll order it. But Mm -hmm. they'll deliver it to your house. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great alternative to Amazon, of course, if you're trying to support the local businesses. I actually sent the woman that cuts my hair and my two sons' hair, we sent her a chunk of cash to say, we would have cut our hair by this time. Hope you're doing well, kind of a thing. I did the same thing with my barber. I I bought two haircuts 
credits to be used later and send it to his Venmo because barbers and hair hairstylists are suffering. That's a tough one. Back to the musicians for a sec. Do you think there are strategies like that, like with the people that cut our hair that we can do to... There's so many artists out there and it's hard to like, you can't buy all their records, but what, what do you think are good strategies to support the artists? Always Bandcamp and Bandcamp seems to be, have they not extended or, or started up again this policy of not taking their cut for a period? I think Bandcamp is great. Yeah, I don't know. If it's a, an artist uh, that you like listening to, then follow them on whatever social media they're on. Hopefully they're on at least one and follow them. Mm-hmm. And when they say, hey, you know, I'm doing a pay-per-view thing, then maybe click and pay for it and just be patrons, be patrons of the arts. Continue to listen to their, if they're on streaming services, keep listening. But if they're doing something live because they can't tour, then watch it, even if it's not being paid. If they're making an ask, and you like them that much, then then accept the ask and buy their merch. A band like Me Without You, this is their 20th year. This is the band that I worked with for four different albums in various capacities as producer or mixer. They started in 2000, put their first album in 2001, and, and 2020 was going to be their farewell year with reissues and tours, which they've already had started doing. They'd gone on a tour with Thrice, I think, and they were going to be here in LA in May on a North American tour to play the album Brother Sister, which came out in like 2006. And then they were going to do like at least two more tours with with it all wrapping up back in Philly where they where they all live in the fall. Well, that's all been blown out of the water. So they just announced this last week that they're postponing it, hopefully just to 2021. They've just set it all back by a year. And in the meantime, they're posting deals on their website, buy this record, get this package. They're trying to stimulate some cash sales and also keep people aware that they're still around. So if you're a fan of any kind of artist, go check them out, even if they no longer exist. Like if you're Frank Sinatra is your all-time favorite artist, I don't know, Google Frank Sinatra and see if the Frank Sinatra estate <laughs> is, all, I, mean, I don't know. That would be my suggestion is just put your money where your mouth is. Just like you support your barber by advancing that person some money. I've done the same with mine. My favorite, if you follow me at all on Instagram, you know that I love beer and I love a specific brewer's beer, McLeod Ale in Van Nuys, California. They make really great beer and they're friends of mine. And I miss the the whole staff in the tasting room. I go once a week usually. I'm a regular and they can't do any of that. They have a pizza restaurant adjacent to the brewery that they own and run and they have their beer and they are really active in trying to stimulate people to come do takeout. You order online or you have it delivered via Grubhub and you either show up and pick it up and they tell you when to arrive and grab it. It's like curbside service and you walk in and nobody touches anything and you walk out with your beer. Most people are totally comfortable with the idea that we're going to continue purchasing food and the things that we like consume, Netflix, Hulu. You're not stopping paying your Hulu $8 a month, but we are prone to stop supporting the artists that we appreciate because, again, the infrastructure, it just isn't there. Again, we've taken out the physical sales component, and most of us have assumed that streaming has replaced it. But streaming is really just what radio used to be when, when we were coming up. So yeah. I, I don't listen to music on the radio ever ever it's been forever i have you know the last time i put k-rock on to listen to music has to be the 1990s it's so terrestrial radio for music has been irrelevant to me for close to 30 years streaming is radio nothing has replaced physical media sales so yeah support your artists i mean it's incumbent on you just like you would go out and search out your favorite hamburger or your favorite t-shirt you know seller you go on amazon and you order whatever it is that you think you need do the same thing with the people that create the music that you consume yeah now unfortunately 
not speaking about CD manufacturing, since that's not really that big of a deal, but vinyl manufacturing, I mean, that's not an essential service. So I assume that's ground to a halt. Plus, that, there was the fire there oh, in Southern yeah. California. For lacquers. Oh, God. For lacquers. So that's really screwed a lot of stuff up. I mean, how profitable, really? I don't know. But again, anecdotally, in my own experience, physical sales make up less than, I think it was less than 7% of any royalty statements I get. Okay. And the, the majority of that is CD sales. So, so I think that hmm. the profits that are earned from selling vinyl for someone like me are nominal, but talk to the guys from Touche Amore or Me Without You. They might be saying, hey man, if it weren't for vinyl sales, we'd be crushed. That may be a, a more vital component to a musician's life. If I was in a band right now and I was needing people to buy, say, digital copies of my music on Bandcamp, I think what I would do as an artist is I would start a band podcast where each episode deconstructs a song on a particular album. Oh, and yeah. You play that song and, or you talk about the album or, you know, I don't know. There's, there's definitely okay. some ways that people in bands, I think, can really encourage sales. The Pogues did that. The Pogues haven't been a functioning touring band for a long, long time. Shane McGowan, the singer, is just not well enough to sustain a tour. And the band, they're older and they live all over the world now. So just this week, maybe it was Monday or Sunday night, they did a Twitter listening party. And I think it was a guy, uh, I think it was a BBC radio host that put it all together. Somebody in the UK, I'm sorry that I don't remember his name, but James... Fernley from the Pogues and Spider Stacy from the Pogues and Kate Rorden, Rorden, Kate Cat, the original bass player. And maybe, I don't know if other Pogues members joined in, but they said, okay, you know, in five minutes, we're going to drop the needle on Rum Sodomy and the Lash. And then people just started tweeting out their takes of things that they thought about the song, fans and also the members of the band saying, oh yeah, that Ilian Pipe section. I remember when we were recording that and Elvis Costello had us doing this or, or Shane wrote these lyrics. It was conjuring memories in real time. And I thought that was great. And, and you can go back and look at the Twitter feed of any of those band members and the responses by the fans. Sometimes the fans would prompt a memory or they'd ask a question while the song is playing. And globally, hundreds or thousands of people were all listening at the same time. Now, again, there's not an, there's no income being generated for the band, but it's a way of connecting a little more deeply than just sitting and listening alone. You know, these people are still around and they still have memories. And if it helps deepen your appreciation of the music and of the people that created it, then I'm all for that. I think there's, you're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah, it's because I, I find it sad that record sales or streaming numbers go up on somebody's death. I think that there should be another, there's got to be another way to do that without somebody having to die. <laughs> That's a short-term strategy. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a sustainable strategy, that death thing. Management comes up and says, yeah, I think really the best option for us is for you to die. It'll be a real bump in sales and that'll... It'll help our numbers. Yeah. Well, unless you fake your own death. It's a one-way street. I'm still waiting for Andy Kaufman to come back. <laughs> to you, yeah. Andy Kaufman, to, the, the reemergence, the second coming of Andy. You know, the time is right. It's, <laughs> he set it up perfectly. <laughs> if anybody wants to do me a favor and be my best friend for a long time, buy me a beer in my name at McLeod Ale Brewing, M-A-C-L-E-O-D, and I'll shout you out when it happens. Wow, what the hell? What a weird thing to ask. Also, if you want to hire me, 
send me a DM on Instagram. Yeah. And, and for those people who've submitted music for me to listen to and are waiting for me to respond back with an estimate, it's coming. I had, a like we've all had, a, a disruptive couple of weeks, and I've been a little bit negligent on getting back to some of the nice people who've asked me to give them an estimate to mix their stuff. So all that stuff's on its way as well. Come on, Brad. You got to get a manager. Or you have a manager, right? Yeah, I do. Sandy Robertson in the UK. He's a badass. Are there questions we're not answering? I goofed. Okay. So go sit recording. I know you said you don't typically work with bands coming in with label advances. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. So I don't know if that was a question or a statement. Oh, yeah. Instagram has been great for me. In fact, there have been years where it's made up like seven out of 10 of the projects I've worked on for the year. I, I would literally be the lights. I would, I'd be out of this house, out of this studio if it weren't for Instagram. I can't say that for Twitter. Definitely can't say that for Facebook. Instagram, if you're a record producer, as far as I'm concerned, you're literally leaving money on the table by not having a presence here. Brad, generally, how is your Neve centerpiece integrated into your setup? Mm. Well integrated, but it's not, I don't have it hardwired. I have it, I have a patch bay, a TT patch bay, and I take outputs of Pro Tools into the centerpiece, and then I take the stereo output of the centerpiece back into Pro Tools. I could integrate more functions of it, more aspects of it, including the stereo, eight channels of stereo inputs that feed into it. I don't have those wired up yet. And one of the things that I'm intending to do during the pandemic is to get the D-subs made that will interface with the room I've got on my third patch bay. So I don't have all of its functionality, but I, I will soon. Another question, Brad, working at the level that you do, do you still have weakened warrior clients? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Labors of love, you know. Uncharitable terms would be to call them mortgage payers. But you know what? I don't discriminate. I never have. The first person with a fistful of cash that walks through the door is the person I'll work with. I do not. I mean, that's always been that way going back to when Idful Music opened in 1988. It doesn't matter if it's a mariachi band or if it's somebody on a major label. I don't care. Quick thoughts on the live touring industry from my buddy Josh Trevaro, tour yeah. swag. Uh, well, as far as vis-a-vis -vis the, the pandemic, I think it's going to take at least a year for it to come back. I don't think it's going to be safe to put people in close quarters like we're used to for a while. Sad. Short-term prognosis, sad, <laughs> I think. Okay. Bandcamp is waiving their revenue share again. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Bandcamp. Dante. Uh, let's see. Brad, just want to thank you again. It's great to see you. It was great to talk to you yesterday, but this is even better. I really enjoy this. And I enjoy the interaction with the audience. Yeah. It's 9.55. Technically, we have five minutes. So if there's any final questions that are there, I'm actually now on the ball paying attention <laughs> to what's going on in the phone. Well, Brad, great to see you, buddy. And uh, hey, thank you, everybody, for coming on and checking this out. And we'll do more of these. This is fun. I, I enjoy this. And now this interview is is ready to go for, for the yeah. next podcast. There you go. It's a two for one right there. It right? is a two for one. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for having me in anytime. Even if you just want to jump on, I mean, you don't have to announce it. Sometimes I just go live just for grins and see who's out there. It's fun. Interesting. Well, I think you've got, you may have a bigger audience than I do. No? Okay. <laughs> We have, we have 11 people watching right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, and, it, and at the max, there was like 25, so, uh, you know. I was, that was a proud moment. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I kind of wish they didn't show that because it's a bruise to the ego, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's humble beginnings, right? This is your first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, I'm going to let you go because I think we're going to get cut off soon, but hey, man, take care and thanks, everybody. 
Cheers. Take care. Thanks for watching, guys. Take care. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye. Cheers. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Brad Wood here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh got to thank everybody that helped out with the show. That would include Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme music, and Mr. Chuck Smith with his lovely voice. want to thank you once again for coming back. Stop by the Working Class Audio website. Check us out on social media and tell all your friends. And until next time, of course, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.